And so after my dog died and my wife left me, I guess that's just how I dealt with it. Wow, thank you for listening, man. I've never actually told that to anybody. Brian? Brian? Sorry, I had my hearing aid turned down. Brian, you don't, you don't wear a hearing aid. I watched you make that noise with your mouth. Okay, I, I wasn't listening. Welcome in to the Bro for Squad podcast, where we are just a bunch of bros drinking beer and watching TV and movies. I'm your host, the Mayor Jeff Hornacek. This is our review of Hawkeye Episode 3, titled Echoes. And joining me, as always, is the mad scientist Brian Banner to review this episode as we do all of our television episodes using the four Bro for Squad criteria, which is the acting, the story, our favorite scene, and then any theories or questions going forward. Brian Banner, this marked, believe it or not, how fast is going by the halfway point of the Hawkeye series. We've got a few, I guess one main one, uh, new entry in terms of the cast and performances. What did you think? Good, bad, and different? Uh, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but Haley Steinfeld is absolutely fucking destroying this role. Um I just needed to get that out there. Who I'm actually going to talk about is buffering Jon Snow. Uh, I'm sorry, I mean Frothy playing Kazi. Um, That's pretty good. DSL dial-up Jon Snow. <laughs> Jon Snow. Uh, no, I actually thought he is doing really good. I feel like he's in one of those roles where it's really easy to over overact and to try and elevate yourself and the character to be more important than the, than it was actually intended to be. Uh, Ali shades in Luke cage. I was just about to use that analogy. Yeah. This, this is a, this is how you would play a shades like role correctly. In my opinion. Yeah. It's a role where like your character is important, but doesn't necessarily have a lot of dialogue. And so I feel like oftentimes, especially when they get an opportunity to be in the MCU or like a Marvel property like uh, like Luke Cage in the case of Theo Rossi Shades, actors say, all right, I need to make my mark on this series. I need to be someone who's memorable in what little screen time I have. And I get that from an acting perspective, but when done poorly, it really comes across as pandery and sort of cringeworthy. And Frothy, while we need to work on his name... Because uh, it sounds like something a giant would say as he approaches a village. Yeah. Uh, he did do a really good job. And to the point where this is sort of the same thing with uh, with J- the character of, of Jack, played by Tony Dalton, who, even though he's in the cast list, he wasn't in this episode, right? Or at least uh, maybe just in flashbacks? He, I believe Jack was only in it in like the, literally the very last scene. Yeah. Um, I don't but think sim- he was in any of the, the rest of it. Similar to that character, like... It, I'm left wanting more, which I think in a, in a show as short as this, that is a compliment to yeah. the creative team where I want more of a character, but... But you don't fail. need more. Right, yeah, I don't want more in the and sense I, of like, well, I need one for the show to work. It's just... Right, I think that's a big 
something you need to clarify. Um, you were probably going to bring her up, but we have to talk uh, Alequa Cox. I hope I'm pronouncing her name right. As Maya Lopez, aka Echo, who is um, hearing impaired in real life, and I believe this was her first actual acting role. No way. And I, I had read a lot of stuff from this where, like, the cast had learned or worked on American Sign Language, Jeremy Renner, and all them to the point where they could communicate with her and make her feel welcome. But I'll tell you this: Echo, it has been confirmed, is getting her own show in the MCU. And I don't want to bury the lead because I will get to it in best scene. But this was a character where they the way that they introduced her sometimes falls flat on its face. I was hook, line and sinker sold on this thing from the get go. The second I it's not my best scene, so I don't mind talking, mentioning it right now. But uh, that opening scene, again, doesn't have to be the best scene, but it sets a tone for the entire episode. And not only that, but that scene set the tone for her entire character. Yes. And it, it was done flawlessly. And it's kind of impressive that someone who is not able to uh, auditorily articulate anything is still able to have such gravitas. And like I could feel her character in this. Yeah. Like all the emotion she had was just done through – you know, the ways that a, someone who's hearing impaired would have to express themselves. Uh, the body language was out of the, this world, which for her is probably second nature. But yeah. And facial expressions. And even when she's signing, she's able to convey like anger and frustration. Yeah. Which is incredibly hard because it's it's all essentially has to be subtextual. She, the person can't say it's what George Lucas needed in the prequels where characters would literally say their emotions <laughs> like I am sad, like. What Alequa Cox did here was just show it to us. She showed us she didn't tell us, as we often bing, say. Bing, bing, On the Broforce squad. Uh, anyone else? I mean, we could obviously mention Renner every episode, but at this point, he is Clint Barton, so... No, I think uh, I, I think we can move on to story here. All right, the story, uh, or the plot synopsis, excuse me, for episode three, according to IMDb, says, after escaping a new threat, Clint and Kate... Join forces against an expanding criminal conspiracy. And uh, I have to say, as far as plot, this was really just a big action set piece or two, I guess. The escaping of the factory and then the car chase scene, which I think we'll get into in a second. So didn't do much for the plot except the conversation that Kate and Clint have both at the diner and then walking through the park afterwards sort of establish, I think, where the rest of the show is going and I am loving how low stakes this is in the actual MCU proper, not counting the Netflix shows, of course, cause they're not Canon. We have never really had a street level hero story told something that doesn't involve a bigger threat. Obviously there's Avengers level threats and then the ones right below that, but this is just Clint trying to get his suit back, maybe clear his name and Kate sort of trying to save her family's legacy. We're not worried about aliens or the end of the world or some infinity stone. That's pretty much some super powered person. Right. It's that and Clint trying to get home for the holidays. And I got to say, I am really digging it. I I'll say, I'll save it for later. Um, you're about to have a hot take for you. This, this episode was so much fun. And I, I think that that, like you said, is what's help really helping keeping this such low stakes. Like, yes, it's a street level, uh, hero and all that, but the banter that uh, Kate Bishop and Clint have is just incredible. And the way that they're writing Clint to be this leader, mentor, but he, he does not want anything to do with it, 
but yet he is doing such a good job of it is very impressive to the writing and where they're going along with the story. There's a good balance of like Clint doesn't necessarily want to be here, but they've sort of avoided the trope of like him being so annoyed with Kate. Cause I think outside of like their first interaction, he's actually kind of taken a liking to her. He's just he's come like, around. Yeah. Yeah. But he's kind of saying, look, Kate, you don't want this life. Like I'm telling you right now, like it's taken a lot from me. Uh, it's not something you want to voluntarily get into. So he's not necessarily ignoring her cause he's pretty much helped her at every turn, but he's like, don't glamorize this. <laughs> like, yeah, this is not a lifestyle that you need to be longing for. And when I leave, be like, I'm going to jump right back into it. <laughs> Another thing, too, and this is, I think, the beauty of the Disney Plus series is Marvel has taken a character that we know and for the most part love in Clint <laughs> Barton. And they said, we don't need to dive any deeper into like who he is. You can just sit and hang out with him for 45 minutes once a week. Which is just cool. Like, we never get time to just relax and chill with these characters because in the MCU, they're always – and this is not a negative or an indictment on the movies, but they're always trying to move us towards the next big thing, which is very fun. But the scenes where let's have the whole team sit down and have dinner for 45 minutes just can't happen, you know, in an MCU movie, which is, I think, a great thing about the medium of Disney+. It really – these shows are really starting to keep the MCU grounded. Yeah, and they, like at the end of the day, they're important parts of the larger picture. It's just yeah. detail. It's like you know, if you were to go see a painting, the the actual picture as you back up looks beautiful. As you walk closer, you're like, oh, I love the detail that they put on this house or this guy's jacket. That's man, that was a really good fucking analogy I just made. Yeah, wow, well, I'm blown away right now. <laughs> <laughs> but with the MCU, that, that's where like when you see some of the the projects being announced. It's I think they're doing it correctly in the sense that it's like people that uh, would never get movies just because we're not going to devote a 200 million dollar budget to them. But there's definite stories that can be told that can a expand the MCU and add color to it and b are characters that we actually think you guys might not realize how much you'll love them, you know? Yeah. Which is perfect. Speaking of love, what's your favorite scene? Okay, well. I'm going to go with the whole Echo backstory in the beginning of the episode. And normally, like I would say seven out of ten times, when a character's backstory is sort of, in this case, told to us and not shown to us. Like they pretty much gave us Echo from age six up to current day. Um, Normally. Two and a half minutes. (laughs) Yeah. Normally that can be a bit clunky. Uh, But knowing that she is getting her own show and I just think how tactfully they did it. I was thinking if they just expanded on the story they are, like if her whole show is even just a flashback, I think that would be really cool. Like her relationship with her dad slash Kingpin, which we'll get into in theory. Like how, yeah, I was going to say, I would be perfectly fine with it almost being a prequel to this show. And it is from what, age six or wherever we first see her up until her dad dies. And like, that's where it ends. Yeah. Growing up in the criminal underworld, being sort of an anti-hero and then ending it with Ronan attacking the tracksuit mafia would be fucking awesome. I think so fucking cool. Yeah. That'd be really fun. So that was, that was my favorite scene, I think, or at least the one that I enjoyed the most. How about you? Mine. We all know I'm a sucker for car chase scene. I have to go it. Yeah, I have to. It was, very, very well done. The MCU has set a pretty high bar for themselves, and this didn't disappoint. Um, again, the back and forth with a deaf Clint to a 
not really knowing what the fuck she's doing, Kate Bishop, was hilarious. Everything with the trick arrows worked for me. Yep. Everything worked for me with that. Um, and this was for such a low stakes uh, show. This felt like the highest stakes to me. Like I legitimately thought they were going to get caught again once or twice. Like they kept it. They kept it close. And you know, I love how they made it look like it was done in one shot. Yes. The, that's actually something that uh, Thurman, who couldn't join us today, me and him were talking about. The way that they kind of did it extraction style, where they're in the back yeah. seat uh, with that with the handheld. Yeah. yeah, that was um, that was really, really well done. And then, of course, ending it on the bridge with the uh, PIM tech. Yeah, just <laughs> I mean, cherry on top. I did like how the one arrow was just a suction arrow. Yeah. He's like, well, like, what's what, this what do you need? What, what do you need a suction cut for? He's like, you'll see in a second. as soon as she pulled out the usb one i was like this is going to be stupid and whenever she shot it and it hit the guy and just like fell straight down and he looked at it like what what the fuck some great callbacks it it did it did make me laugh because in the first avengers when he's being controlled by loki he uses that to bring down the helicarrier yeah that's right so and obviously there's the what if episode where they use it yeah so that was just it's always fun to just go through hawkeye's quiver and see like what the fuck does this guy have I also love how he was saying, like, there's no such thing as trick arrows. And then all the bag has left is trick arrows. And she's just like, Kate Bishop's just like a kid in a candy store. Oh, yeah. She's like, where's the trick ones? Like a kid meeting us here. He's like, those, who the fuck told you I have those? I don't. (laughs) All right. right. Are you ready to move on to theories and questions? Let's do it. Best part of the show. Okay. So I guess let's start. uh, Nate Thurmond, who couldn't be with us tonight, did send in a theory that he has. And with only three episodes left, I mean, we've kind of been doing this all series, but we're starting to project how the show is going to end. Just already take some swings for the fences. And Nate uh, posits in his theory, the Ronin who kills Maya's father is not the Ronin that we know. That was actually Jack in the Ronin suit. I think that was from um, episode one, right? Oh, no, Maya's father. Okay. Maya's father. Yeah. In In the flashback. Yeah. Actually, Jack in the Ronin suit, we purposely did not get a good look at him during that scene. He has a propensity for swords and is seemingly skilled. Jack is now obviously playing out to be the main slash a main antagonist, so we need a reason for Maya to go after him. That would make sense for the plot direction. I like that idea. I do, too. Um, is there any – because, you know, during – the only thing that is a little bit tricky about that is Clint does talk about as Ronin going after the tracksuit mafia and his knowledge of, like, the hierarchy. Yeah. But that doesn't necessarily mean he killed her father. Right. If anything, if Jack wanted to take out the tracksuit mafia, that would be just a better reason to do so if Ronan was already on their radar. Yeah, I like it. I think that – I think for them to execute that or for that to come to fruition, some other things need to happen. Um, I wouldn't be mad about it though. It's a little bit of a misdirection. I'm going to take part of Nate's theory and use it as my own. I'm going to say Jack has been posing as Ronan uh, for a few years. Just but, just under the underworld. I'm saying he hasn't been seen by cameras. See, but I don't know. Because who had – did Jack have the suit before it went up for auction? Well, it's possible he could have – he could have, or he could have another version of it, and that's why he needs to get it off the streets because – he doesn't want someone like if he's seen somewhere the same night the other Ronin is, it could be a problem to his cover. I see that. I get, I 
I'm picking up what you're putting down now. It's it's not. I don't have enough pieces to actually paint the clear picture yet, but I, I like where Nate's going with that. I mean, let's we know be Jack. Let's be honest. We're gonna be doing a season finale, and we're still not gonna have the pieces to put our theories together. Yeah, I'll have seen the last episode and still be making wrong predictions about the last episode. You'll be like, but right. you know what happens. Yeah. Uh, we can go back and forth if you want. Yeah. So uh, let's just get this one out of the way. 100% we saw Kingpin, 100% that was D'Onofrio, yes. right? I'll say 1,000%. And yeah. the question I had ties right into that. Next episode, do we get Kingpin and do we get Yelena? Put the percentage chance either one of them shows up. Uh, Yelena, 100%. I, I I would bet my paycheck on that. I See, think... I, I say Kingpin 100% because I can't remember, but I think D'Onofrio's – tweet where he teased it said in no he made some joke like in no circumstance would i show up in episode four of hawkeye yeah i think we're gonna see both of them i think there's i think 100 percent for both of them i'm gonna say uh raise your stakes a little bit here 50 percent we see charlie cox you're taking all my thunder here okay so real quick i think yelena is in two episodes of the show i believe four and five okay so that would be the next two. And so yeah. I think she, she can show up, uh, figure out that Clint actually had nothing to fucking do with. I mean, well, he was there, but he definitely didn't yeah. purposely kill. He, tr- he he literally tried to prevent that from happening. Right. And then Yelena can leave and go back to Madame Hydra and be like, what the fuck, man? Uh, and then I think Kingpin is going to be in the next one and maybe the finale. But he's just going to be a separate antagonist once they realize that Jack is actually in charge. Uh, see, I'm going the other way. I think Jack is working for Kingpin. Okay. And I also think within the next two episodes, we're also going to see Julie Lewis-Dreyfus. Yeah, she ha- kind of has to show up. I think. She has to show up. I think she's either going to be an equal part to Kingpin, maybe a love interest, um, or she is underneath Kingpin trying to – maybe she's working with Jack – trying to undermine Kingpin and, the and take over his spot. The character of Jack Duquesne uh, is the swordsman in the comics, who is a Hawkeye antagonist. Although his character in the comics has a much deeper backstory with Clint Barton than I think they've set up here. He, like, trained Clint in the circus originally. And Clint right now, like, when he heard the name Jack Duquesne, he's like, I don't know who the, who that is. So yeah, I don't he's think like, they're... and? <laughs> yeah, I don't think they're going that way with this. Uh, Which would make sense because I don't think any of us believe that Clint Bar- this Clint Barton was in the circus. Yeah, and him and Jack are, if anything, Jack Duquesne might actually be older than Clint Barton in the MCU. Yeah. Or like, like I'm mean, sorry, I mean, Jack Duquesne not, would be older. I meant like not near enough old. Not old enough to play that role. Correct. In his life, yeah. Um, your Matt Murdock theory, I predict Matt Murdock and Jennifer Walters, a.k.a. She-Hulk, uh, kind of the two big lawyers in the Ooh. MCU, will both pop in briefly in this show. Okay. Uh, Jennifer Walters obviously getting her own um, series. Oh, show. Is that 2023? It's next year. Is It, it is next year. Okay. Um, let me look up the name of the woman cast as him. Uh, Tatiana Maslany. We've already seen a brief clip of her and Mark Ruffalo uh, from Disney Plus Day. They they yeah. dropped it. So I think we'll see her briefly and Matt Murdock. And then just to double down, I think Matt Murdock, this has all been confirmed basically by the internets, but he's also showing up briefly in Spider-Man No Way Home. 
Correct. Yeah, I agree with that as well. So I, I guess I've read Banner, the interwebs also. Banner, before I throw it back over to you, this is sort of an overarching question, but with the Matt Murdock played by Charlie Cox, Kingpin played by D'Onofrio showing back up, do you believe these will be soft reboots of the characters and Kevin Feige just loves the casting so much that he wanted to bring them back? Because I don't know if there's a way that one, they could tie it into Netflix and two, that they would even want to. So I think Netflix is completely separate. I think that they like Charlie Cox's and uh, D'Onofrio's portrayal of those particular characters. Mm-hmm. And I, another reason that I don't think that it's connected is because Marshala Ali was recast as Blade in the MCU where he was Cottonmouth in Luke Cage. So now Could you have a, this, a multiverse situation. I don't know. I mean, I, you can't say no for 100 percent. Right. Some but, of the names and then we can talk about this on a separate pod, but some of the names I've heard coming into Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness through other old Marvel properties that they've now acquired would blow your mind. Yeah, I don't even want to know, because if the one person I want on the, or the two people that I probably ah, two or three people I really want on that list, yeah. if they don't come in, I'm going to be so upset. Yeah, so anyway. uh, I, I think you'll be happy. All right. I've got one left and I, it's kind of a bomb. So if you've got anything else, unload the chamber. Uh, mine is just one more question and it's not really, it, it's more just like uh, your thoughts on what they should do with the character going forward. So do me. you think Echo, cause I was thinking when you mentioned Madam Hydra showing up, a, a character that sort of falls in line with the person she would recruit based on their motive could be Echo. 100%. So could you see Echo being more of an anti-hero going forward? Obviously right now we have just a very small glimpse of her intention and even her reasoning for wanting to kill Ronan could be mis- misguided as well based on Nate's theory. But so do you think she is sort of the the prime uh, candidate from this series to be recruited by Madame Hydra as sort of a someone who's not full on a hero but definitely not a full on villain to where – she could be swayed or depending where the fight is, could be convinced to fight for either side. Uh, yeah. And I actually think that recruitment is going to happen in this show. I think that she just, she has, we're going after Ronan. You have Yelena says, I'm going after Clint Barton. Uh, the tracksuit mafia now has Clint Barton's name. Cause she says towards the end, look into Clint Barton. Mm-hmm. They are going to meet up and go, Ronan is Clint Barton. We, we have figured that out. And then they're going to both start hunting them. And Madam Hydra is going to be the facilitator of that meeting. So <clears throat> not to put too much on your plate here, but going forward, what do you think Madam Hydra wants? Because obviously she's kind of been the connective tissue or the Phil Coulson of the Disney Plus shows, I guess you could say. Yeah. Probably to a lesser extent because she hasn't really featured pr- primarily in anything. Yeah. Um. But do you, what do you think her – I know it's a little early, but what do you think her plan is? I think I think she is trying to take over a the entire criminal underworld. She wants to take over Kingpin's spot. She wants to – she wants to be that street-level villain, that big baddie at the street level. Look, I'm not, I'm not going after uh, the Avengers. Like, I'm just – I want to rule the criminal underworld. I could still see either her working for Sharon Carter or the other way around. I could see that. I don't think we're going to get Sharon Carter in this, in this, though. No, I don't either. That'd be too much. 
yeah, with only six episodes, this is kind of what we came down to with the, with WandaVision. We were like, dude, unless the finale is two and a half hours, we're not getting half the stuff we yeah. think we're getting. Remember when I bet my unborn child that Benedict Cumberbatch would show up in the finale of WandaVision? Yeah, um, speaking of that, when is when is he due? I'll just go ahead and take him now. Oh, um, we'll put you on the waiting list. I actually made that promise to a couple people, so. <sighs> gotcha. Let's hope it's twins. All right. All right, what else you got? Okay, this is my last one, and this I, I think this is kind of a hot take here. I think this show is the last time we are going to see Jeremy Renner as Hawkeye. I don't think he's going to survive the show. Wow. Because I've I heard think, people say they think he's going to be the new leader of the Avengers. So, I think... No, nothing tangible, just... Special. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and, and that's... That's what this is all about. I'm just we're throwing shit on the wall, seeing what sticks. There's two reasons that I think that. I mean, he's this whole show is him passing the torch to Kate Bishop, mm-hmm. right? So there are two reasons that I really think this may have some some wheels to run. When the scene when Nathaniel calls, so much his son, so much emotion he oh, can't yeah. hear his voice, and Kate comes up. And says it starts interpreting for them basically. Right. Um, you can feel and tell that it, to me, Clint wants out of this life a hundred percent. He just wants to spend the rest of his time on the farm with his family, and he doesn't want to be looking over his shoulder anymore. Um, he's he's done with it. He's done with all the threats. Second, there is a line uh, that Clint says. You really are one of the best archers in the world when he can't hear and he says that to Kate Bishop. Yeah. Again, I think that he has he is saying that almost to make himself feel better. Like, yeah, look, I'm a great archer. Here's somebody that can replace me. He has so he also has so much guilt over Black Widow's death that he's really trying to cope with. And all these things are piling up on him. I think I think this is the last time we're going to see him. I would just be so sad if after everything we went through in Endgame, he was unable to actually get that quality time with his family. Yeah. It, it would suck, but there, I don't know, there's just little crumbs there that may, maybe I'm reading into it too no, much. No, I mean, there's going to be some emotional ending for Clint. I, I could even see something like it's a flash forward to them like 30 years in the future and Kate's at like Clint's grave or something. Uh God, that'd be tough. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. But yeah, that scene with Clint and Nathaniel was pretty gut wrenching. Even though, like, yeah. you know, nothing horrible happened. We're just like, damn, dude. All you've, because really, Endgame is like he's the one of the big driving motivators around. Uh, pretty much the whole time heist. Yeah, giving giving it getting everything back. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. All right. Uh, honestly, at this point, the show is not really set up. It's for lack of a better term, end game, but I'm totally okay with it because I think even four and five are going to be such fun rides. We're not even going to, I don't think there's like some huge ending to it and I'm totally cool with that. Yeah. I think, I think that honestly, kind of with each one of these shows, like WandaVision, we expected this big, crazy thing to happen and it kind of did it. Then we went into Falcon winter soldier and it really grounded us again. It, it brought us back into this world. Uh, then Loki, like, I don't even know what the fuck is going on there. Like, how that's going to f- fucking tie in with everything. 
and then now you have this. It's I don't know where I'm going with this. I'm just talking now. That's the job, though, you know? Yeah. yeah. All right, well, that <clears throat> does our review for episode three of uh, Hawkeye entitled Echoes. We will be back next week with our review of the fourth episode. And again, we're this thing is going by very quickly. We're halfway done. So I guess it'll end uh, the on the 22nd. 22nd, I believe, yeah. That's just genius timing that they made yeah. this Christmas show. And is it going to be Christmas Eve when it when it ends? It'll be... In the show. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it should be. be, right? It's got to it be. Can't, it can't end after Christmas. Yeah. Clint better fucking make it home for Christmas. That's all I have to say. Well, he may not. I'm just saying. There you. For the Mad Scientist, Brian Banner, I'm the Mayor, Jeff Hornacek, and we are the Bro4 Squad Podcast. Thank you guys so much for checking us out. Follow us on Twitter at Bro4Squad. If you type in bro Force Squad as three separate words on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, anywhere you find your podcast, you'll find us there. Check out everything that we post in our squad blog on our website, bro4squad.com. Till next time, Brian and I are on eBay in a bidding war for some trick arrows. I have it set to go up $2 increments till we hit 500 bucks, so I think I'll win. Uh, no. I'm not bidding against you, am I? Fuck! This is the Ronald McDonald the beanbag chair all over again.